Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, or I'll be your host for the next hour. Lots of entertaining news, insights, opinions, always opinions. We know, we know about opinions. I won't go into detail, but I have a few. I've got some local news. I got some state news. I got some national news. I got some world news, all related to business. And then I've got some helpful hints towards the end of the show. I think you fi- should find them helpful. If if you do, uh, I feel like I've accomplished something because when I get something that's helpful to me, I like to share it and I like to teach people things that I do and hopefully they can get some benefits too. That's That's the whole idea. Share and teach and by teaching you learn and by learning you teach. That's sort of the, the theory anyway. So business buzz. Let's see. We've got it's it's toward the end of June now. So the summer's actually officially here. I know the weather was super hot. I had to be away and I just got back into town today. The weather has been super hot today isn't quite so bad, but it's still nice and sunny, so it's a another nice Chico summer day, I can say now that it's past the start of the summer. Hope everybody's enjoying a good summer. Hope you're having a nice one. So my first local new business news item, and somebody's already told me about this because they have a relative who works at Lulu's, and it's the new Lulu's store. I guess it opened about a week ago, and I think it's kind of interesting because it's an outlet. It's only open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And nearly every item is in bins, and rifling through is the required shopping process. And prices, topping the differences are the prices. Formals are $20, everything else unless marked is $15. Quote, you'll find $200 dresses here for $15, is what the CEO said. And it's, they say it's their way of giving back to the locals, which is cool. I don't really shop Lulu's. I have a feeling it's mainly w- women's clothes, but I'll have to look that up. I got to admit, I don't really know. And the outlet is where the former Trucker Men's store was, so I know where that is. That's there on Broadway between 3rd and 4th. Yeah, Broadway between 3rd and 4th, I'm pretty sure. It is a pretty exciting thing to have a large internet retailer turn into a discount outlet store where you can go through bins and pay no no more than $20 per item. I'm sure they're going to do well. I'm guessing outlet means they're just selling overstock things that they really don't have time or can't sell online in a big way, so they'll just kind of liquidate it in an outlet. I remember the first outlet I shopped at, it wasn't those outlet malls like the one in Red Bluff or on the way to Redding, Cottonwood, wherever that one is. I remember a Nordstrom outlet in Sacramento, and it had some pretty good items. And, you know, Nordstrom started as a shoe store way back in the early days in Washington. So they've always been kind of big on shoes, and I remember... I picked up a pair of work shoes, like kind of dress shoes, but I don't, wouldn't call the shoes that I wear at work, I don't call dress shoes. They're more like casual dress. And I bought a pair of those at that Nordstrom outlet, and I remember they lasted a long time. They were very comfortable, and I think they were very well-priced, I'll put it that way. I won't say the word cheap. I'll say well-priced. So I remember that was a pretty cool outlet, and then I don't really shop outlets too much, but... I guess Lulu's outlet's got to be worth going into just to see what it looks like since it sounds like a pretty interesting setup. And if you need something and they have it and it's 15 or $20, sounds like a pretty good deal to me. I believe that's all new stuff. This wouldn't be used. This wouldn't be used. So that ought to be good. So check that out and see if you might find something you can use and save a bunch of money. I'm always into saving a bunch of money. If I can help you save some money, Anybody who can save 30 or $40 on something they need to buy clothing-wise, well, that's, that's a tank of gas. Or, well, 
That's maybe half a tank of gas, depending on how small your gas tank is. I just filled up today at a fairly, fairly busy station down in the Sacramento area, and I guess the prices were cheap. I noticed prices have come down a little, but it was still three thirty-nine, I think, for unleaded, and it was, it was crowded. There was like twelve pumps, and they were all pretty much full. I don't go to stations like that except leaving Sacramento north on I five. There aren't a lot of gas stations available, and this one is next to a grocery store, and it's really crowded. So I guess it's sort of like the Safeway discount idea of Sacramento. I think it's next to the Bel Air market, which is related to Rayleigh's. So that's my story for today. Lots of driving yesterday, lots of driving today. Now I'm finally back. I can relax for a little bit and talk with you. That's what I've been looking forward to all afternoon. So... We're moving on to statewide business news, and I'm talking about California's gas tax repeal is now officially headed to a ballot near you. I assume here, I didn't, I'm not reading these things line for line. It looks like the on Monday, it said here somewhere, qualified Monday for the November ballot, a major statewide battle over how to pay for an estimated $67 billion backlog in highway, bridge, and road repairs. Well, if you've been listening to Business Buzz for a while, you know my opinion of billions of dollars of government spending and debt and backlog and deficits. I don't even pay attention to them anymore. The entire U.S. dollar, you have to realize the U.S. dollar has had the privilege for the last 50 years or so of being the world's reserve currency. It has been used in all oil trading around the world since I believe the early 70s. That pretty much puts it in the place of world reserve currency. It was always well respected and it was forced to be used by being used in all petroleum trades. Here's the problem. Most of the industrialized world has moved to the east. There's more people in China than in most of the west. I think you take China and India combined, that's probably 2 billion people. That's like a third almost of the entire world's population. And those countries are, now they are the manufacturing industrial superpowers. I'm not sure about India, but I know China is. I think that was planned and designed. I remember when I was young, And Kissinger was going to China to open trade talks. And ever since then, we've done nothing but lose manufacturing jobs. Having the world's reserve currency is a privilege. It means that your paper money is respected and it won't go down the toilet as fast. In the old days, I read a list somewhere. I don't have it in front of me. The British pound was the reserve currency before the U.S. dollar. At one point, the Netherlands, I might be called, the the Swedish is called the kroner. I'm not sure what the Netherlands currency is called. Those have all been reserve currencies in the past. I believe the Spanish, if it was a peso, I, I really don't know all this history. But back in the 14, 1500s, Spain was the reserve currency. Then for a while, Portugal was, was the reserve currency. I know that At one point, Spain and Portugal having all those ports and being right there on the ocean, as opposed to like Germany, who's landlocked, they had so many places around the world as colonies that they divided the world. I don't remember who did this. I think the Pope had something to do with it. But they basically just divided the whole world in two and said Spain and Portugal, as as the two biggest bullies on the block, we're going to separate the whole world and we'll take... We'll take the whole world, Spain and Portugal, something like that. It's interesting because Brazil, which is, if you look at a map of South America, Brazil is like, it looks like it's half of the whole continent. It's so big. It speaks Portuguese. Brazilians speak Portuguese, whereas the rest of South America speaks Spanish. And that's part of that Portuguese-Spain division that I think they did back in the 1500s where where some pope uh, deemed that they would own the whole continent. I'm sure that's what the idea was. My point is, is that the reserve currency is a privilege 
that you shouldn't take lightly. Here's the problem. Ever since at least 07 and 08, our so-called financial crisis, which has never really been fixed, no matter what they say, all that we've done is band-aid, put a Band-Aid on things by printing more money. And that money hasn't gone to you and me. It's gone to the big banks. It's gone to the big companies. They've bought their own shares back. It's incredible how the bubbles in housing, real estate, uh, stock market, bonds, these bubbles are created by the money printing that has basically told the world, okay, we're taking the reserve currency and we're turning it into toilet paper currency, just like Zimbabwe did with their Zimbabwe dollars. If you've ever seen a, a bill from Zimbabwe, it's like 10 trillion is the denomination of the note. I actually bought a couple of those just for fun. I think I think I bought like 20 trillion Zimbabwe dollars for 50 bucks or something. And that's probably just for the collectability of the actual notes that I bought because it's like funny to see 10 trillion. I've talked to you before about the 19 early 1920s in Germany where the German mark went to zero basically. And people were carrying a wheelbarrow full of paper money to buy a loaf of bread. That is what happens when paper currency goes to zero. We took the privilege, we had the privilege of having the reserve currency of the world for all these years, and we basically threw it down the toilet by sending trillions and trillions of dollars to banks. I won't get into my opinion of these banks, I don't think they're solvent. I think the accounting rules that changed in about 2010 made it to where banks are allowed to say whatever they want to say on their balance sheets. That is why we have thrown away the privilege of being the world's reserve currency. And we've turned our wonderful U.S. dollar into a wonderful piece of toilet paper. I hate to be frank like that, but I'm being frank. Our dollar now is only worth what people believe it's worth and what we can bully and muscle around the world to say it's worth. And the problem is we have probably half of the entire world now starting to trade their oil and petroleum purchases in non-U.S. dollars. That is the beginning of the end of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. You are holding dollars in every account, you, every digital account you own, It's not paper money sitting at the bank. It's called a fractional reserve system. I believe the banks are only required to have something like 1% of the balances in all those accounts in actual cash, which means that if you and I and all of our friends all of a sudden went to the branch and asked for our money out of our savings accounts, the bank would tell you, no, you can't have it. We don't have that much cash. That's called the fractional reserve system. The problem is the entire economy now is based on a fractional reserve system. That means gold and silver, all the futures accounts. It's all paper. It's not anything real, and it will be the demise of the U.S. economy. I'm not sure when. If I knew when, I'd be the world's richest man at some point because I would know exactly when, but I don't. So I can't tell you that. And I'm not a financial advisor, so don't go out and take all your money out of the bank and buy gold and then blame me when it doesn't go up in value. I'm only sharing this as entertainment and just telling you what I think. You have to, as I've said before, do your own due diligence. I'm not a financial planner. I'm just a CPA. I do income taxes mainly. I do some accounting. And I did want to clarify, last week I mentioned that I don't do audit work. And what I realized is that that the the word audit and the definition of audit to a CPA there's two different types of audits one is the audit when a, if a client gets audited by the IRS I do those I do those that's part of my main job with doing income tax is helping clients if they have an audit what i meant by i don't do audit work is the financial statement preparation that CPAs do for publicly traded companies and governments, they're required to have audits done by a CPA. I don't do that type of audit, but I do do IRS audits all the time. In fact, the reason I was out of town is I was at a big IRS audit meeting yesterday all day in Sacramento.
I just wanted to let you know that I do do audits for the IRS. I don't leave people high and dry. They, if they want to hire me to do the audit, obviously I'm the right person to do it because I'm the one who prepared the tax return. Even if I didn't prepare your tax return, I can represent, represent you in front of the IRS in an audit situation. So if anything ever is needed like that, let me know. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA, and I'm on Mangrove Avenue, and you can reach me pretty much any time and get in touch with me. We're coming up on that first break. Stay tuned. I'll see you in just a minute. Rock House Dining and Espresso, now featuring Jamming for Jesus, a Christian jam night. The first one is Saturday, June 23rd, 5 to 8 p.m. Rock House is located only two miles past the hardware store in Yankee Hill on Highway 70. Originally built in 1937, Rock House has served as a restaurant, tavern, shower house, barber shop, a gas station, and a cafe. Serving yummy and creative vegetarian offerings as well as a fantastic Reuben and French dip sandwich. Yum! Don't forget the awesome iced coffee and fruit smoothies. Rock House is looking forward to hosting more Christian musicians. Enjoy dinner specials every Saturday night at Rock House Dining and Espresso. That's Rock House Dining and Espresso on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill. received news that Chlorina and Sludge have been captured for impersonating spring water. Let's now go to our field reporter, Olza Wet. Once again, Bob the Drop saves the world from fake water and... Oh, here's Bob now. Bob, do you have anything to say? Well, Chlorina and Sludge from Tapopolis are the worst. Why would you want wannabe water when you can have the best tasting water delivered right to your door? Anyone can get Mount Shasta spring water if they call us at 1-800-922-6227. Pure and simple. Naturally the best. Mount Shasta spring water. David Bowie on KKXX, you're probably heading toward the second segment of Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a chance to be with me today. I hope you're having a nice summer afternoon. School's out. Maybe the kids are, well, in the old days, they'd be playing in the street like I used to do. But now they're probably playing online, which is the more modern way of kids. I've I notice I drive through the streets of Chico all the time, every day, numerous trips. I hardly ever see children playing in the street or in their driveway or baseball or basketball. I know they play organized sports, but I just can't believe it. We were out there every day in the summer playing a game of baseball. And, you know, when a car came by, we'd have to stop and move out of the way. We did it every day, but I never see that going on. So I got off track talking about the reserve currency because the topic was the gas tax repeal is on the November ballot. Now, I'm not going to get political, so I'll just make this a little mini. I'll make this a mini version of you be the judge like we did last week. Uh, I, I could go I can go either way on a lot of these arguments, so. I am reading some, now this is coming from the side that wants the tax increase to stay. It says, those stating we can fund those improvements without the funds generated from California's first, they have to mention that it's the first gas tax increase in 25 years, are either mistaken or are flat out misleading California voters. If this misleading repeal is successful in November, More than half of those improvements grind to a halt along with our region's economy and quality of life. Already more than 5,000 state and local transportation projects are underway using money generated from the new taxes and fees, according to the California Transportation Commission. And don't forget the people at these commissions uh, make their living using these tax dollars. So obviously... My point on that is that I'm not saying they're lying. 
I'm just saying you have to look at the motive, and I mentioned this before also on Business Buzz. Look at the motive of everybody who's talking and just make sure you at least understand the motive before you agree or disagree with anyone. And when I say you be the judge, I've definitely got mixed emotions. Uh, Approved by the legislature and signed into law last year, Senate Bill 1, which went into effect in November, raised the tax on gasoline by 12 cents, the tax on diesel by 20 cents per gallon. It also raised registration fees this year by 25 to 175, depending on the value of the vehicle, and imposed a $100 registration fee for zero emission vehicles. Huh. Well, that's interesting. So I noticed that because I was just at the AAA. I, I will say one thing. If you are not a AAA member and you have to go to the DMV, you have my sympathy. I had one DMV thing that came up for me that the AAA told me they couldn't help me with. And going to the DMV these days is the biggest nightmare of any bureaucratic mess. I strongly encourage you can get the minimum AAA towing deal for, I'm not even sure what it is, maybe 99 bucks a year. And when you need 90% of your DMV work, you go in there, there's hardly any lines, and you're usually out within a few minutes. I can't recommend anything more highly than being a AAA member just to avoid the complete disaster that's the local DMV office. And I'm, I'm stating that because I've been through it now. I mean, of course, I've been to the DMV many times in the past, but it was never like that. I mean, you could, in the old days, and I'm saying old days, five or 10 years ago, I could go to the DMV and I could sit and wait maybe 30, 40 minutes and I'd get up to a window and I'd get my business done. The last time I had to do that, I didn't have an appointment because the appointments are like three weeks out. I went and got a number. They told me at the desk it would probably be three hours. So what happens? I come back two hours after I had gotten my little ticket number, like a bakery, you get a number. And lo and behold, I looked up and two minutes prior, my number had been called. So, of course, I head back up to the line guy who starts the line up. And I begged and pleaded with him. It's like, I just missed this by two minutes. And I'm three weeks out on my appointment. And... They told me three hours, and I came back in two hours. And what do you think his reaction was? Yes, you're right. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) If if you're not here when you're called, you have to start over. Now, by this time, it was 3 p.m., and they close at 5. So I don't think a three-hour wait would have worked at 3 p.m. Maybe they could use this gas tax toward hiring some new people at the DMV so there's 10 windows instead of five or whatever the numbers are. It was the worst. It's the worst government debacle bureaucracy wait list line I've ever dealt with, and I'll never do it again. I hope. So I'm not, I, you know, I try not to be that opinionated on business buzz. I try to have an open mind, but that's ridiculous to have to wait three hours. But, you know, the thing is, the appointments are great, but you go to make an appointment, and the earliest one is three weeks away. Not a, not a good system. Moving along, the gas tax, I'm going to just say it sure hurts to pay that much more for gas, but I know we need roads, highways, maintenance, I don't know all the details of all this, but I guarantee if it has to do with state government, any government, but especially, I mean, I probably states probably worse than some others. If it has to do with the California government, there's probably a huge amount of waste and theft going on with all this tax income. And that's just my humble opinion. Anybody out there who works for the state, I'm not knocking people who work for the state. I'm just knocking the system of the state and how much money they steal, waste, uh, give away, and blow. If I can use that sort of term. Now we're expanding our horizon here. Now we're moving out to the national business news. A very interesting Supreme Court decision 
The case was called South Dakota versus Wayfair. Wayfair, I've seen an ad on TV. I don't know about it too much, but it's some sort of home improvement, Amazon-ish type giant web-based place where you order something and it gets delivered. Here's the rule. You are liable to pay California what's called a use tax on anything you buy from out of state that you don't pay sales tax on, but you use in California. So if you buy a sofa from South Dakota and it gets sent to you in California, there's a good chance you're not charged any sales tax. But legally, and I encourage my clients to do this if they buy from out-of-state places, legally you're required to put that on your state tax return and pay the use tax, so seven and a quarter percent. So if you buy a couch for a thousand dollars, you owe California seventy-two dollars and fifty cents because you're using it in California. It's called use tax. I'm sure you've heard of people who have tried the scheme of buying an RV in Oregon because there's no sales tax, and then bringing it down to California and trying not to get caught. They get caught. Because if you have a $200,000 RV, you just skipped $14,500 of California tax. And if you're in the a Bay Area County, it might be like $17,000 of tax because their rates are higher. California wants that use tax. It's not sales tax. It's use tax. What this decision said is, okay, you're not going to anymore get to do online without paying state sales tax. There's going to be sales tax collected from all online sales. That's the way I understand it. I have not read and got a real, real good detailed handle on this new law yet because it is really new, and I just haven't had time to look it up. Generally, it sounds like there's no longer going to be an escape route for not paying sales tax when you buy something online from an out-of-state seller. And that is my quick little overview of it i haven't really got dug in and i'll if there's anything that's really important in this maybe i'll try to get you some info later on the details but generally it looks like no more out-of-state purchasing with no sales tax i know amazon pretty much changed it recently and it's pretty much sales taxable on amazon so i haven't noticed any freebies lately we're coming up on break number two I'll see you in just a few minutes. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. Let me just put this simply to you. God's purposes are rooted in his character. And added to that, I say this. That character will never cast away his people Israel. Never. David Hawking shares on why we and the nation of Israel can always trust God's promise to us. It's coming up this week on Hope for Today. Join us. Tune in for Hope for Today weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. America is a unique experiment with its constitutional balance of powers and the Bill of Rights giving the power of governing to the citizens. The First Amendment, specifically guaranteeing the free exercise of religion, has served as a faith beacon for millions of people worldwide for 250 years. But, as the Pacific Justice Institute can attest, America's religious roots are under intense pressure from the media, various governmental institutions, and litigious atheists. But folks, working together, we must stand strong for our religious roots and their moral and legal structures and resist religious intolerance. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. 
people we call the unchurched often have a very different view than we have. Yeah, man, I believe there's a God, a higher spirit, whatever you want to call it. You can have faith in anything you want. There are many different views on God out there, so we want to be the station where people can tune in and find some real truth presented in a relevant, respectful way. Did you know that about a third of our audience doesn't even go to any church at all? Well, thanks to your financial support of our ministries, we're able to be here with a message for everyone. People who go to church and people who don't. Tell your friends about Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM. When you hear the gin blossoms on KKXX, you're probably listening to the third segment of Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, hoping that you are having a nice afternoon like I am. It's nice and cool in here. I've got the fan going. It's only in the 90s outside, so it's a it's another nice Chico summer day, but not a not a super hot one, which is good. Following up just at the end of my little discussion about sales tax, it's very interesting how few people are aware of that use tax rule. And the states are just basically sick of not getting that use tax. People don't report properly. It's confusing. It's hard to figure. You have to keep separate track of things. Most people are, they just aren't real aware of it. I tell my clients about it, but I'm not an enforcer. I just tell them what they're supposed to report to me. So uh, we do put those on the tax returns and it's the correct way to do it. But it's a little strange to think that you you get a $100 item from Michigan and you're supposed to send 7 bucks to the state of California. That's use tax. And it is a little bit cumbersome. I believe the detractors of this new Supreme Court ruling, number one, they say that this seems like a ruling that would have been done by the liberal side of the Supreme Court, but I think they're saying it was done by the conservative side. They're sort of saying it's it's an unconstitutional look at the Commerce Clause, which is the clause that says the federal government has the right to regulate commerce between the between the states, and that's a huge clause in the Constitution that in law school we dealt with it all the time. It's a huge clause because anytime the federal government makes a law regarding anything almost, if it's an interstate law, they have to have a reason to do it. And the Commerce Clause is the one they, they lean on a lot, whether it's really accurate. I think they stretch, they, stretch everything, they stretch everything to make that fit. So the Commerce Clause is huge. And the federal overreaching government regulations of federal style definitely abuse, in my opinion, the Commerce Clause. In other words, they make the Commerce Clause apply to everything. They even have cases where when they try to regulate firearms, they use the Commerce Clause in their, in their reasoning. Like, oh, well, uh, firearms are in the commerce, so and they're in interstate commerce, so we're entitled to limit firearms. It's like that's exactly what was not intended uh, by the Constitution in regard to interstate commerce. But like I say, they have abused. Th- there's so many things the government abuses, um, I can't even go into it. But I don't want to be too political. And both parties do it. It's not a, ma- it's not a matter of one side versus the other. Remember, the whole goal of the powers that be is to divide and conquer, get everybody arguing about stupid stuff that really doesn't even, should be a personal decision, and that way nobody really gets together and fights back against, you know, an oppressive government. That's just sort of the, that's the way they do it. But you and me can at least talk about it. I mean, that's still legal for now. So my next story, remember I told you we did local with Lulu's, we did state with the gas tax, we did national with the interstate sales tax. Now we're going international business with Chinese tariffs, well, American tariffs on Chinese goods. I'm bringing this up today because it's been in the news, and I actually have a client who's being directly affected by this, and he's asked me to help him a bit, which... 
This isn't a specialty of mine, customs and duties and all that, but I did need to at least look up and verify things like when you're dealing with tariffs, it's going to be a customs duty that you will pay to import that item. And you're going to be sending the money to the customs service. It's just something that in these days of supposedly free trade, which, you know, free trade just means open borders and everything comes and goes, gets manufactured in China and gets shipped over on a ship. That's their definition of free trade. This tariff is directly affecting a client of mine. And so I'm now interested in just seeing how it's all going to happen. But, you know, to make a long story short, I'm assuming, and I, I don't have all the details of what he's talking about yet, because there's a list of things that are getting this 25% tariff from China, and it's like a list of 800 things. And whatever things are on this list that he's dealing with in his particular business, he hasn't. we haven't talked that much about it. He just asked me to get in touch with him on sort of helping him, so... So how how that's going to work is if his business needs $100,000 worth of materials that he's getting from China or goods, pro, you know, things that have already been made over there, and they're on this list, that means that his whole budget of what he was going to have to charge when he sells it here in the U.S., that $100,000 of purchase of that good from China is now going to cost him $125,000 that's going to translate to either higher prices or if he can't make it work now, it'll be layoffs. Or if some competitor of his has a supplier from India or Indonesia instead of China, now the competitor has the advantage. This is the kind of problem you can run into just being a business person. And now these tariffs come in sort of as a, I mean, they aren't really a surprise. I was reading a little bit today just trying to keep up with it. They kind of got announced in March or April, so this has been about three months in the works. It is kind of disheartening, though, if you're in business and all of a sudden your the cost of your main ingredients of what you're reselling or you're using to manufacture your finished product here, but you need this from there, your cost just went up by 25%. That's horrible. So I could see this leading to decisions not to do a certain level of work decisions of having to lay people off because your factory and your place that's going to manufacture things isn't going to do as many because you can't buy that many goods coming in because you might not have the right price point now for your selling price. It's a complete mess for certain business people. And, you know, the larger the company, I'm sure the more the people are dealing with this whole tariff problem. But this this client of mine, it could become a problem. And I'm I'm trying to help him as best I can, but it's not like you can fight this. There's the first paragraph of the thing from the customs department mentions that if you don't pay these duties, you're looking at huge fines, penalties, and prison terms. So it's not something you can ignore. There's definitely not it's definitely not something you can get around because when the stuff comes in on the boat, it's going to be tagged as imported from China and if it's on that list of items, it's going to get a tariff. And tariff is a nice way of saying tax. It's like a duty. It's not a tax you would pay like on your tax return. That's what I was looking up for him. You pay it to the customs when you bring the things in. Moving along, I was very interested when I just heard the advertisement in between the two segments where we just started a few minutes ago with KKXX mentioning all the different views of God on this station and that I believe it said a third of the listeners don't even attend a church. So I would be part of that third, and I'm not going to get religious on you or or anti-religious. I've just never been attracted to church going. I've been to church before. I introduced my son to it when he was little. Uh, he went to Sunday school as a kid just to expose him to that. It didn't catch fire with him. Of course, I guess if you're in a home where the parents aren't super religious, it might not catch fire. But I don't think it's fair to equate church going with religious because I feel I'm very religious. If you've been listening to Business Buzz, I always fill you in on what I'm interested in, which is my book, The Miracle Business Method, which is supposed to be out this fall. Hopefully I'll have enough time away from 
my main day job to get that all completed, edited, and printed and rolling. I'll keep you posted on that too. So the Miracle Business Method, which is my creation, leans a lot on my favorite book, which I've mentioned before. It's called A Course in Miracles. It's a whole nother way of looking at the God thing. And I just say the God thing. I'm not trying to denigrate or reduce the importance of religion or God. I'm just saying the entire concept of God, I'm not sure the churches have it all 100% correct. So I'm, I'm not a church type. I looked up something I wanted to share, and I was reminded of one of my favorite chapters of the course. It's, it's chapter 27, and the parts that I've got here, I, don't th- I won't get through them both. I probably won't even get through the first one. It's parts 7 and 8, and it's the last two parts of chapter 27. And I'm going to just start with one called uh, chapter 27, part 7, The Dreamer of the Dream. Now, don't forget, miracles are corrections, and the basis of the course is to teach you to think with a different part of your mind. It's to teach you to think with your observing side of your mind, not your thinking side. And as soon as you step back and observe your own thoughts, that's the place that the course is talking about. It's all, all it does is try to get you to, to be in that right mind and to not let the world take over your thoughts like pulling you down a river. That's my synopsis of what the course is trying to do. Problem is I've been studying it for 10 years. It's very difficult. It, it's a lifelong or more learning process. So I'm just going to read part of this Dreamer of the Dream, and then we're going to come up on the break before the last section of the Business Buzz show. So think about business while you do this. It'll help you with your business. It'll make your business go better. Even if your business doesn't go better, you'll feel better while you're doing your business. How's that? The entire goal of the course is simply peace of mind. There's no other goal. The dreamer of the dream. Suffering is an emphasis upon all that the world has done to injure you. Here is the world's demented version of salvation clearly shown like to a dream of punishment in which the dreamer is unconscious of what brought on the attack against himself, he sees himself attacked unjustly and by something not himself. Does that sound familiar? We're going to continue with the dreamer of the dream after this break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Gary Crossland. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Everything in the epistles points backward to Jesus. That's why I encourage people to read the words of Jesus every day. This is where emotional and spiritual health come from. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Well, where do you read his commandments? But in the Gospels. Now, I know that it's easy to get a little confused when jumping between one Gospel and the next which is why I wrote the Merged Gospels. It's where all four Gospels are literally translated from the Greek, broken down word by word, and merged back together into one beautiful chronological story with not one word of scripture removed. You can't buy it in stores. It's available only online at mergedgospels.com. It's great for new believers, for personal devotions, and for group studies. There's also an audiobook, And as always, you get to name the price. Just go to mergedgospels.com. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
When you hear Bachman Turner Overdrive on KKXX, you're probably listening to the last segment of Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I want to remind you that when you're dealing with the course, what you're dealing with is, and I've said this before, the world is a projection of thoughts. And uh, it's the, the way that the book explains why that's so and how it came to be is just a little too advanced for a beginning section because I'm still learning that after 10 years of studying. And it's still kind of hard to believe the real reason why we are thinking this world up. But that is how this goes. And uh, I'll try to get into that as we go along down the road here in Business Buzz. But for today, I just want you to listen to this and think about it and see if this might, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, tell me if it might give you some peace of mind because that is the object of the course. That's why I study it. I'm always looking for peace of mind. So I'm going to just continue with this first paragraph of the dreamer of the dream. And I'm going to repeat one of the sentences. Like to a dream of punishment in which the dreamer is unconscious of what brought on the attack against himself, he sees himself attacked unjustly and by something not himself. Okay, now that does summarize our life, right? He is the victim of this, quote, something else, a thing outside himself for which he has no reason to be held responsible. He must be innocent because he knows not what he does, but what is done to him. Yet is his own attack upon himself apparent still, for it is he who bears the suffering, and he cannot escape because its source is seen outside himself. Now you are being shown you can escape. All that is needed is you look upon the problem as it is and not the way that you have set it up. How could there be another way to solve a problem that is very simple but has been obscured by heavy clouds of complication which were made to keep the problem unresolved? Without the clouds, the problem will emerge in all its primitive simplicity. The choice will not be difficult because the problem is absurd when clearly seen. No one has difficulty making up his mind to let a simple problem be resolved if it is seen as hurting him and also very easily removed. Okay, I'm just going to kind of back up a little bit on that. This is the whole idea, and this is why the Course teaches in all the workbooks and workbook lessons forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key because the forgiveness is related to this fact that you're looking at somebody that you think is yelling at you or getting mad at you, and you just have to forgive that that person you're looking at because this is you. This You are doing this to yourself is what this section is talking about. The reasoning by which the world is made, on which it rests, by which it is maintained, is simply this. You are the cause of... Now, this is what we say to, to the world. You are the cause of what I do. Your presence justifies my wrath, and you exist and think apart from me. While you attack, I must be innocent, and what I suffer from is your attack. That's the end quote. No one who looks upon this reasoning exactly as it is could fail to see it does not follow and it makes no sense. Yet it seems sensible because it looks as if the world were hurting you. And so it seems as if there is no need to go beyond the obvious in terms of cause. There is indeed a need. The world's escape from condemnation is a need which those within the world are joined in sharing. Yet they do not recognize their common need, for each one thinks that if he does his part, the condemnation of the world will rest on him, and it is this that he perceives to be his part in its deliverance. Vengeance must have a focus, otherwise is the avenger's knife in his own hand and pointed to himself, and he must see it in another's hand if he would be a victim of attack he did not choose, and thus he suffers from the wounds of a knife he does not hold 
has made upon himself. From the wounds a knife he does not hold has made upon himself. This is the purpose of the world he sees. And looked at thus, the world provides the means by which this purpose seems to be fulfilled. The means attest the purpose, but are not themselves a cause. Nor will the cause be changed by seeing it apart from its effects. The cause produces the effects, which then bear witness to the cause and not themselves. Look then beyond effects. It is not here the cause of suffering and sin must lie. And dwell not on the suffering and sin, for they are but reflections of their cause. Now, I know that sounds confusing, but what the Course is saying is that the cause is within you. It's not that thing you're looking at outside your physical body. The part you play in salvaging the world from condemnation is your own escape. Forget not that the witness to the world of evil cannot speak except for what has, been, what has seen a need for evil in the world. A need for evil in the world. I'll repeat that. And this is where your guilt was first beheld. In separation from your brother was the first attack upon yourself begun. And it is this the world bears witness to. Seek not another cause, nor look among the mighty legions of its witnessing, of its witnesses for its undoing. They support its claim on your allegiance. What conceals the truth is not where you should look to find the truth. Now, that portion, that's touching on what I was saying earlier, where the Course actually does explain that we are projecting this world out to make ourselves innocent and all these other people and things guilty. That is the basis of this whole course. We project outward so that our guilt and the whole reason of our guilt is because we think that we separated from God and that we turned away from God. And the basis of the course is saying we never had. We didn't, couldn't possibly do that, but we think we've done it. So we're actually setting up this world where all of these people are attacking us, making us miserable, you know, telling us what we got to do, telling us what we did wrong, putting us in jail, whatever. All the things that you blame everybody else for, this is the, this is the problem. And that's why this chapter is so important. And when it says the witnesses to sin, that means all the people that you're blaming all the time. The witnesses to sin all stand within one little space. And it is here you find the cause of your perspective on the world. Once you were unaware of what the cause of everything the world appeared to thrust upon you, uninvited and unasked, must really be. Of one thing you were sure, of all the many causes you perceived as bringing pain and suffering to you, your guilt was not among them, nor did you in any way request them for yourself. Obviously, you know, we think about the people that caused you grief today. It's, it's really incredible for you to think that you asked for that. But the Course is saying that, yes, you did ask for that. You want to blame people. You want them to be guilty and you want to be innocent. This is how all illusions came about. The one who makes them does not see himself as making them. And their reality does not depend on him. Whatever cause they have is something quite apart from him and what he sees is separate from his mind. He cannot doubt his dream's reality because he, he, because he does not see the part he plays in making them and making them seem real. Okay, here's where we get to the meat of the subject of this, of this small part of the chapter. No one can waken from a dream the world is dreaming for him. He becomes a part of someone else's dream. He cannot choose to waken from a dream he did not make. Helpless he stands, a victim to a dream conceived and cherished by a separate mind. Careless indeed of him this mind must be, as thoughtless of his peace and happiness as is the weather or the time of day. It loves him not, but casts him as it will in any role that satisfies its dream. So little is his worth that he is but a dancing shadow, leaping up and down according to a senseless plot conceived within the idle dreaming of the world. This is the only picture you can see. 
the one alternative that you can choose, the other possibility of cause, if you be not the dreamer of your dreams. And this is what you choose if you deny the cause of suffering is in your mind. Be glad indeed it is, for thus are you the one decider of your destiny and time. Is that where George W. Bush got, I'm the decider? Okay. Be glad indeed it is, for thus are you the one decider of your destiny in time. The choice is yours to make between a sleeping death and dreams of evil or a happy awakening and joy of life. What could you choose between life or death, waking or sleeping, peace or war, your dreams or your reality? There is a risk of thinking death is peace because the world equates the body with the self which God created. Yet a thing can never be its opposite, and death is opposite to peace because it is the opposite of life, and life is peace. Awaken and forget all thoughts of death and you will find you have the peace of God. Yet if the choice is really given you, then you must see the causes of the things you choose between exactly as they are and where they are. What choices can be made between two states, but one of which is clearly recognized? Who could be free to choose between effects when only one is seen as up to him? An honest choice could never be perceived as one in which the choice is split between a tiny you and an enormous world with different dreams about the truth in you. The gap between reality and dreams lies not between the dreaming of the world and what you dream in secret. They are one. The dreaming of the world is but a part of your own dream you gave away and saw as if it were its start and ending both. Yet was it started by your secret dream, which you do not perceive, although it caused the part you see and do not doubt is real. How could you doubt it while you lie asleep and dream in secret that its cause is real? A brother separated from yourself, an ancient enemy, a murderer who stalks you in the night and plots your death, yet plans that it be lingering and slow. Of this you dream, yet underneath this dream is yet another, in which you become the murderer, the secret enemy, the scavenger, and the destroyer of your brother and the world alike. Here is the cause of suffering, the space between your little dreams and your reality, the little gap you do not even see, the birthplace of illusions and of fear, the time of terror and of ancient hate, the instant of disaster, all are here. Here is the cause of unreality, and it is here that it will be undone. You are the dreamer of the world of dreams. No other cause it has, nor ever will. Nothing more fearful than an idle dream has terrified God's son and made him think that he has lost his innocence, denied his father, and made war upon himself. So fearful is the dream, so seeming real, he could not waking to, waken to reality without the sweat of terror and a scream of mortal fear unless a gentler dream preceded his awaking and allowed his calmer mind to welcome, not to fear, the voice that calls with love to waken him, a gentler dream in which his suffering was healed and where his brother was his friend. God willed he waken gently and with joy and gave him means to waken without fear. Accept the dream he gave instead of yours. It is not difficult to change a dream when once the dreamer has been recognized. Rest in the Holy Spirit and allow his gentle dreams to take the place of those you dreamed in terror and in fear of death. He brings forgiving dreams in which the choice is not who is the murderer and who shall be the victim. In his dreams he brings, there is no murder and there is no death. The dream of guilt is fading from your sight, although your eyes are closed. A smile has come to lighten up your sleeping face. The sleep is peaceful now, for these are happy dreams. Well, we're coming up at the end of Business Buzz for today. So that's the business of what I read every day. And 
KKXX. Paradise. K280GL. News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Val Dior. The White House is wasting no time putting a team together to find a replacement for retiring Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy. With the president promising to unveil his choice next Monday, the White House has announced that Chief Counsel Don McGahn will head up the search committee, reprising the role he played in the successful confirmation of Neil Gorsuch. McGahn will lead a team of attorneys who will vet candidates and prepare briefing materials for the president. Sources indicate the president's already narrowed his search to a short list of a half dozen or so candidates. Wally Hines reporting and federal authorities say they've arrested a man who talked about setting off a bomb.